Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. We were first drawn to foster care when I was working as a psychiatric nurse for adolescent boys and I saw the abuse that was done in their homes and sometimes in their foster care homes as well. And I felt that if the church could just step in and prevent that abuse from happening, we could drastically change the trajectory of their lives. And it got to the point that I could no longer look at them in the eyes knowing what I knew and seeing what I saw and continue to do nothing about it. When we got our first phone call for a placement, I had a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, and I was pregnant with my fourth, but I knew I could give them six months. And they said, that's fine, that's all we need. She already has a home to go to. And so we went to the hospital, we picked up baby Jane, and we brought her home. Well, a month later, we received a phone call from the caseworker saying that our timeline had changed and was no longer six months, but that she would likely be with us for up to a year. We started praying because we couldn't imagine giving her to another home that we didn't know, knowing what could possibly happen to her. But I also felt like we really couldn't care for her when I had my own newborn. And when I called them and told them that we could take her longer, but I couldn't take her for the full year, they said, we're gonna have to take her now. And you're thinking, what's next? You're going to find out what's next. Of course, that's Scott and Hannah. They're part of our congregation here, faith community here in Palmer Campus. And you're going to hear their story unfold in another video coming up later in this message, as well as the next two videos next week. And uh, they're a great example of someone who has been uh, accepting God's challenge in their life to step out and stretch. Of course, that requires... Uh, faith community, a circle of support that we talk about as we move into the stand and especially as we emphasize foster care and adoption and safe families and all the things that we participate in as a church. And uh, they discovered uh, in their own journey and challenge that they faced that they needed a faith community. They knew it was not, they knew that they could not stand alone. And that's what we're talking about today, to, to do not stand alone in life. And uh, you're, you are so blessed to be part of such a powerful faith community here, right here at the Palmer Campus, um, because we have incredible people that uh, offer uh, sacrificial help beyond. Tremendous giving capacity here, even in this congregation. And so we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and talking about why we shouldn't stand alone. And uh, we're going to take a little journey through this passage, uh, but I'm going to start uh, in a different place in a sense. But first of all, there are dangers in isolation. I think we all understand that. Flying solo is not safe for anyone, and we're always better together. Now, the world is filled with all kinds of people. We get that. It's, it's tough to figure out which ones you should befriend, allow access to your life, who you should give your information to, get advice from, who you can trust who you can do life with, who you can stand, who, who you could trust to actually stand with you in your circle of influence. Uh, as issues becomes uh, 
even more pressing in life when, you, when you're dealing with life changes. For instance, if you move to a new community, um, you're entering a new school. Some of our young people are doing that right now. They're going to another state, uh, taking on a new vocation, uh, transitions from job to community, uh, moving to a new church. All of this seems, uh, it's a high stress point in people's life, but transitions require and will introduce relationship changes into our life. There's all kinds of reasons for, for relationship, relationships to be in, introduced into our life, and it's not uncommon to find yourself in a whole new community. Probably most of us in this room have at one point or another entered a new community, and you're like sitting there going, feeling kind of alone. Now who am I going to connect with? Who's going to be a part of my life? And it can be overwhelming, um, the possibility of these new relationships and trying to figure out how am I going to get integrated? How are, how's all this going to work? Uh, you may hit hard times. You may be facing a deep challenge like, like uh, Scott and Hannah introduced into their life. And you realize, hey, this is an emotional challenge, a physical challenge. This is beyond us, and we need some help. We need, uh, this is beyond our physical capability. And that's when you need a tribe, a team, a life group, some type of a care group that you can be a part of. Somebody whose people are going to be in your corner to stand with you. Now, there's all kinds of people out there. We got deceptive. They're dangerous people. There's well-meaning people, kind people, wise people, unhealthy people, healthy people. There's bitter people, careless people. There's people with good character. There's people with bad character. And God, uh, let me get this straight. First of all, we're all made in God's image. That means we all have equal value and likeness, uh, worth, I, would, I should guess I should say. But not every person is equally good friend or trustworthy worthy, or, or a good counsel and advice. So you got to choose wisely. you got to choose wisely because that old saying is true. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? Choose who you do life with and you'll kind of determine where you're going to end up in your future. Those things you just can't bypass, they're true. Now, Henry Cloud, he's a pretty famous author, author out there, and he wrote a book called Necessary Endings. And he describes three kinds of people. And it's interesting because you're going to read about these three kinds of people in Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, where we're going to be going today. Three kinds of people. Now, when you determine the kind of people that you could have relationship with, it helps to know what kind of people they are so that you can know what kind of relationship you should have. Pretty important. What level of access they can have. What information you can share. What trust level you can have. What You need to know... Who you can trust and who you can depend on. So important. Now, Henry Cloud, he mentions these three kinds of people. He mentions evil, foolish, and wise. Those are three kinds of people. Now, I'm going to begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, but we're going to end up in tw verse 12 and 14, where we talk about how we shouldn't stand alone. But we're going to get there. Let's move to that place. But first of all, let's look at verse 4. It says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. So this basically is describing an evil person who's motivated by envy. He can't be happy with those who are doing well, and he can't celebrate other people's successes. That, that can be a problem. Now, if you look at our culture, which you often find now today, it's pretty common as people um, want to purchase all kinds of things that will define actually who they are. So they can present to others because of by what they own and all the stuff that they have, uh, an image that they want to put forth. 
Yet that's pretty common in our society today. It, it represents their so-called value. This is what I feel, how value I am, right? And everything rides on that. And that determines my success rather than what should determine our success is our identity in God and the one who created us in his image and serving and living for him. So what I want to present to others is, is um, I want to project not what I possess, but who possesses me. And I bear his image and how that can image, his image can continue to grow in me. Does that make sense to all of us in this room? That's really what we're after. You know, there's, there's a saying out there that says, uh, buy, we buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't know with money we don't have. <laughs> that's, that's a vicious circle, right? That's driven by envy, jealousy. Uh, if you can get something, then I think that's not fair because, you know, I should have it and I should have better because you don't really, um, you shouldn't have that because I'm more deserving than you. That's, that's kind of what envy and jealousy does. And then, uh, which leads to um, gossip and trash talking because that person got the job I should have got. He got the car that I should have, you know, and it just, it's this vicious thing. Social media actually magnifies this because, man, we could see everything what everybody else is doing now. We could see the vacation they took and all the stuff that they're doing. So much more of everybody else's lives are on display now, and then we're faced to compare our lives with them, and it gives us, it fosters, it fuels a sense of, co of competition and, and jealousy. We see how the lives of the successful are doing, and, and we compare our lives with them, and that becomes more envious and it's a trap and Solomon says he says look this is just chasing after the wind it's meaningless it's you can't grab a hold of it what you see more today is is when a person even falls into well falls off their pedestal tragedy strikes they get a divorce right they lose their possessions or that person uh, loses where they used to win and and now there's a sense of satisfaction and vindication. You know, the people can dry, derive some joy out of other people's failures, and that's evil. That's just evil. Solomon nails envy. He just nails it. Problem back then is today, still. And so Solomon basically says this in that verse. He says, look, evil people are motivated by success out of envy. The, the, these people find status in possessions and accomplishments as a way to show that they're better by all the stuff they have, basically. And they find pleasure in the pain of others. And look, the best way you deal with an evil person is to get distance from them. Protect yourself from them. D give them as little personal information as possible so that they can't use it against you to cause pain. Now, let's look at the foolish one. Then Solomon takes another step to verse 5, and he says, The foolish... The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That's interesting. Folds his hands and eats his own flesh. In other words, he brings, ru he brings ruin upon himself. Folding of the hands is a picture of somebody who's very irresponsible. The foolish people are prone to be lazy, right? Foolish refuse to learn. They repeat bad decisions, uh, the same bad decisions over and over again, and they, they'll argue with anybody who might try to offer some help. So foolish people want the world and everybody else to change so that they don't have to change. They won't take responsibilities for their lives. They're, they're ir ir actually irresponsible, but they're very clever in a sense, too, because they know how to push <laughs> their responsibilities onto responsible people. Anybody ever been in that situation? 
And uh, the responsible people are the ones who enable them by paying their bills and bailing them out and dealing with their mess and enduring all their pain and folly so that the foolish person never has to feel it. That doesn't work. So the best way you deal with a foolish person is consequences. Amen? Come on. Anybody ever have to deal with your own consequences? It makes you want to change, doesn't it? Yeah. Since arguing with them doesn't do any good, taking responsibility for them only makes them more foolish. So the most loving thing to do is shift the pain of their foolishness back onto where it belongs, onto them. So in this way, they kind of get motivated to change, make changes in their life if it's painful enough. That's why Proverbs says the guy doesn't go to work unless he gets really hungry, <laughs> right? Uh, so the issue is not how intelligent or educated someone is, whether they commit sins or make bad decisions. Really, the main difference between evil, foolish, and a wise person is their hearts. Their hearts. God's always going after the hearts. Wise people want to know truth. They want to learn from it. They, they want to become more godly. So foolish people want to argue over truth and not change and remain stuck. Evil people hate the truth, refuse to change, and cause harm to others. Which brings us to the wise person. Let's look at the wise person now, because we all want to kind of get wise people in our life, and we want to become wise. So verse 6, he says this. Let's look at the wise. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. That's a wise. Here's a way to live, live your life if you're wise. Now, an evil person lives out of envy. A foolish person lives out of irresponsibility. But a wise person lives their life, according to this, quietly and with contentment, in a sense. Better to live your life with one handful of quietness over here, okay, rather than two handfuls of hard work and chasing after the wind, something you can't grab. In other words, you can have so much going on in your life, you can't keep up with it all. Anybody been there? You're just overwhelmed. You're overburdened. That's when you need someone to stand with you. You need a circle of support to come in. What drives that? Well, maybe you just have so many demands on your life, and we have seasons like that where you've got two hands full. Uh, maybe you're overcommitted. That can happen. We've all been there. Maybe another one is, by nature, you're a winner, and you're just going to get after it. So you're just overwhelmed. Maybe your self-esteem depends on it. You can't say no to somebody else because you don't want to be the bad person and let them down, so you have to say yes to everybody. That could be a problem. Maybe you just have seasons where life just gets busy. It happens to all of us. Both hands are full. But he says, better to have a handful of quietness, in other words, peace, and one handful of work, in a sense. So you've got one handful, of, this is a balance in life, one handful of work, and one handful of openness, quietness, where you can help and serve and bless and hold someone else who needs it and be available to help and care. Give a hand out, hand up. We all want that in our life. I think we need to have that balance. Now, some are so busy with priorities, and they're so far out of whack, that they never even have time to come in here on a Sunday morning and lift both their hands to the Lord who gives them all things. That could be a problem. Well, having more, achieving more, being more, owning more won't make you more happy. I think we get that. It's chasing after the wind. 
Wise people approach life intentionally and purposefully because they want to grow in godliness and not make the mistake over and over and over again. Wise people, they want to receive godly instruction and correction. Anybody out there in that category? You kind of, yeah, I want to learn. I want to grow. Of course I do. Uh, I don't want to make the same mistakes over and over. I, I want to make adjustments in my life. Wise people are also discerning. They just don't do what evil and foolish people tell them to do. In, in a sense, the, uh, it, it says here that really wise people have a, a two-handed approach to life. It's important. They use one hand to work hard and provide for themselves, and then they got the other hand that can still reach out, befriend the lonely, give to the needy, Help those who need help. Serve those who need to be served. That's important. Now, where Solomon is driving at in this section is to the point of uh, emphasizing the great gift of friends and family. While evil people harm others, foolish people use others, wise people love others, help others, serve others, and bless others. Wise people don't see people as a means to their ends. Rather, they are gifts from God to be treasured, enjoyed, and invested in. That's what a wise person believes. They don't use uh, people to get money. They use money to help people. That's a wise person. Now, if we're all honest, and I think we are in this place, every one of us here, we have some evil in us, we have some foolishness in us, and we have some wise wisdom in us. Uh, and if you're following Jesus, and remember, you will become who you're committed to. You'll become like Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he's continually working out the foolishness, and he's working out the evil parts, and he's growing us in wisdom. Can you say amen to that? That's what we need. We need Jesus to do that in us. Now, Solomon, in all his writing, here's a lonely man, really. He's living in this huge palace. He's got incomparable riches. He's got a thousand women and yet no friends and family. This is a problem. And this story's 3,000 years old, but it's timeless. You know, the wisdom from the Bible is always timeless, but it's timeless. Always timeless. How many of you have ever heard of the game Minecraft? Are you shaking your head? Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't play games. I never really have. Uh, I tried once, I just wasn't very good at it, and I was too distracted, I guess. But um, Minecraft apparently is a massively, hugely popular game. The founder of Mar Minecraft is Marcus uh, Person, P-E-R-S-S-O-N. I guess that's how you pronounce his last name. Now, he, he created this game, and he sold it to micro Microsoft for, get this, $2.5 billion. Good on him. <laughs> I mean, really, that's the American dream, right? I mean, he invented something, he sold it. And now he's independently wealthy. Now he's free to do whatever, whatever he wants to do. He's living the dream. I mean, yeah, way to go. It's kind of like King Solomon. Rich beyond comprehension. And he's writing about all this experience in Ecclesiastes. And, he, and he's letting us know that he's, he's had it all, but he concludes this. That life without relationships in God is just vanity. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Meaningless, chasing after the wind. Void of purpose. Now, back to this guy, Marcus, who created Minecraft. He retires, and he buys a multi-million dollar house. And he just has constant parties. Life has got to be good, right? No pressure. 
Just spend money, do whatever you want. But this is some of his quotes. Listen to this. This is amazing. He says this, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reason to keep trying. Life without purpose. And human interaction becomes impossible due to its imbalance. Imbalance. What's his imbalance? I mean, Ecclesiastes says it's better to have one handful of quietness than two handfuls of hard work. Well, the imbalance I think this guy's experiencing is he's got two handfuls of nothing but emptiness, play, good times, and no purpose. Just, ah. He says, not good. He goes on to say this, hanging out with a whole bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. Boy, is that an epidemic. You hear that more today. He's got people all around him, but he's lonely. Not uncommon today. Then he says this, when we sold our company, the biggest effort went into making sure that the employees got taken care of, and now they all hate me. The last thing is this, found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went to be with a normal person instead. <laughs> That's sobering. Now, people look at Mark as persons of the world, and they say, That's what I want! But is it really? It's not all it's cracked up to be. You can have all the money in the world and still want things that money can't buy, and that's family, friends, and peace with God. A wife and a normal life, to him, sounds like an escape from the prison of lowly success. He's standing alone. He's got no one standing with him. And his findings really are the same that Solomon's talking about and wise people pay attention to. Solomon, who is, he's lonely and he's sitting on a pile of money, and then he reflects on the benefits of having uh, invested, really, his energy now into what's important, real relationships, friends, and family. He says he goes in that direction. Obviously, relationships are the greatest value we could ever have. It's the greatest treasure that we could ever enjoy, and the only thing you're going to take to heaven is relationships and your character. That's it. So what are the benefits of these relationships, of having people in your corner, standing with people? Well, let's look at that because we're going to move to the next level here, verse 7 and 8. This is what he says. It's about sharing first. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to his, all of his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. What's he doing? He's describing someone who is all alone, yet working hard. I mean, he's saying, why would I work so hard if I got no one to share it with? No one to hang out and share it with? What, what good is my boat if I don't ever have time to take it out and have somebody to go with me? What good is my fishing pole? What good is my big house if I never have anybody over? He's just saying, why all this hard work and yet no one, no relationships? When we know that being blessed is not from getting, but giving, sharing. Joy comes from contributing, not consuming. Joy comes from giving, not taking. That's why God is the most joyful, is because he's the most generous. 
Now, friends and family are, are here, there, hopefully to enjoy by sharing with them what God has given us. I, I think back when Lori and I, when our kids were small, we, we were always on a very extremely tight budget. We, a lot of times, more months than money. And uh, <laughs> our houses were pretty always really small. We moved a lot, and houses were small. Didn't have all the toys and trips. If we went camping, my dad had this big canvas tent we borrowed. And uh, Christmas time, we got creative. We'd buy a little gingerbread house, and the girls loved putting it together. And we found we did the simple things in life. But boy, were we rich. Man, were we rich. I reflect back, and small home, lots of noise, kids laughing, kids crying, Great family memories. Man, were we rich. And you can't buy stuff like that. And our girls still talk about all that today. To this very day. And that which makes life so full. We didn't have to have all the other stuff. We couldn't. There was no way. Boy, what rich times. And that's a family history that was worth living. Here's another benefit. Helping. Solomon moves on to verse 9 and 10. He says this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For they fall, and then one will lift the up his fellow. But woe to that person. Woe to him who has, who's all alone when he falls, and he's got no one to pick him up. No one to help him up. Now, we do fall. We don't always win. Life is tough. We have off days, bad days, failures, mistakes, and hurts. Life is full of wins and losses, ups and downs, good times, bad times. We stumble, we fall, and we got to have somebody there in our corner to pick us up help us. Sometimes this is emotional. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. It is all over the place. And when times are really rough, who do you have there for you? Who's in your corner? Let's go to this next video. When we first heard that Hannah and Scott were getting a foster placement, the Lord put it on our heart to pray for baby Jane. And while we were praying, um, we just really felt that the Lord put it on our heart that they would need rest. And so then we offered to take baby Jane for the weekend. And um, as the weekend approached and got closer, we found out that through Han and Scott that her placement was going to be extended. And that's when the Holy Spirit told me to offer to take her. And so I offered to take her and I knew that um, they needed the help. So uh, we've been foster parents for many years now, so the idea of bringing a new baby to the home wasn't uh, intimidating or a big deal to us, but this time was different. We had uh, a group of friends um, with Scott and Hannah to, to help and the support from a life group and um, to help us in a way we, we never thought to ask for before, but. Uh, saw the impact it made on, on our life and caring for baby Jane. And of course, Matt and Ashley are sitting right over there. Thank you guys. Good job. And uh, it's, you know, they're, they're part of, this is a circle. This is the circle there in the life group. And they stepped up. Uh, you could see why you need somebody to stand with you. Do you have somebody standing with you? Do you have a com 
faith community close to you. And you're going to continue to see the rest of the story next week. But it's really powerful to see the helping those who, one hand's work, one hand's for help. There's a great balance in life. Thank God for friends and family. Thank God for life groups. Thank God for a faith community for the church. Uh, there's that saying out there, your real friend is the one walking in when everybody else is walking out. You know, in my younger years as a kid, I grew up in the homestead in the Chugag Mountains, and there was only a few families up there. There was us, the Millers. We were quite a ways up that mountain. A half mile above us, around the windy road, you couldn't see the house, but there was the Brennans. And then about a mile down the road, down a power line to the right, way down there was the, Buck, the Weidemans. And then about a mile straight down the road for a ways was the Buckwalters. That was it. We were just up there. And uh, we, we helped each other. We depended on each other a lot. Nobody had to, all you had to do was just ask, and they were there for you. There was this unspoken code of homestead, homestead ethics, and it was just you were there for the other families. You just, you just stepped up. And I find what's interesting is today we pay people to do what we used to do for each other out of friendship and being a good neighbor. Back then, it wasn't like that. You had people in your corner. Now, even in a perfect world, God told Adam, uh, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he gave me to stand with him. And we need people with us. We need people to stand with us. We need people. And so this brings us to the next one, comfort. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 11. He says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And he's using the analogy of two people huddling together to keep warm. It's almost like survival. Uh, but when he's, uh, what he's getting at is it, it's just not good to stand alone. Now, solitude could be healthy uh, if you need that quiet time with the Lord. You need to recharge your batteries. Uh, that's good. But isolation, when you're all by yourself and you're cut off from people, that's sad, that's lonely, that's depressing, and that's damaging, that's not healing. And the world is a lonely place, and uh, people are living their lives more alone than ever before, more uh, by themselves, away from family. Technology can be a blessing in this way, because when there's no communication or way to connect, then te technology provides that. But it can also become a replacement for what really needs to happen, and it can eventually make things worse, because you can never replace the ministry of presence. Intimacy requires proximity. And you can't have a healthy marriage just on texting and FaceTime alone. You can't have a healthy friendship just on Facebook alone. You can't replace presence. You've got to be present. And God understands the ministry of presence. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. That's why God came to be with us. He entered human history to be with us, to experience with us, and to walk with us, and to interact with us, and to physically be with us. And that's why Jesus promises never to leave us. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. Could that be the reason why when you walk into a hospital room, you see a bed, and what do you see next to the bed? Empty chair. The hospital's new. They need to provide a place, a space for that friend or that person that's going to come in and sit with that person who needs comfort, needs help, needs friend, needs a family. Well, the last one is protecting. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. He says, And though a man may prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him. A three-cord is not equally broken. 
Let me give you another homestead illustration here, okay? Is that right? I don't know why this is happening, but um, growing up in the homestead, we had a, a dog, a family dog. He was a collie. He was bigger than the average collie. He was a beautiful dog, graceful, robust, strong, powerful. And uh, we called him, his name was Prince, and it fit him. And beautiful dog. And Prince was, uh, for us kids, he was our protector because we were all over that mountain. We'd be out playing winter, summer. We'd be off in the trees, up the mountain, everywhere. Prince was always with us, always circling us. He's always corralling us. They have that in them. I tell you, if there was a bear or a moose, even in the vicinity, he was on it. Nothing would come near us kids. Amazing dog. But especially in the wintertime, at night, the wolves would come down. And we'd hear them start howling in the distance. And pretty soon, they'd get really close. And we did everything we could do to get Prince in the house. We did not want Prince, although he wanted to protect his turf, to get in a fight with a pack of wolves. That would have been devastating. So, no, Prince, you don't need to protect us, but you come in the house because we're your circle of protection. We need to protect you. And this world is a dangerous place. It's full of evil people who want to harm you, foolish people who want to use you, wolves, hackers, scammers. As I began, as I started talking, there's all kinds of stuff you got to watch out for. There's all kinds of abuse out there and threats at every level. Dangers. I'll have the worship team come out. Solomon uses the analogy of a fight or an assault. Where one person's fighting two people, it's certain they're going to lose. Because you've got to have somebody to cover your back. And this is what it's meant when he, friends say, I got your back. Or a soldier says, I got your six. Because you've you got two people standing together against one coming at you. You've got a better chance. But it, the chances are even stronger when he says you got three, a three-strand cord. Who could break? We all need people looking out for us, standing with us. We all need a circle of support. Students, if you're in here today or kids, you should thank your parents for getting in your business. Vigilance and protection is born out of love. I'd rather have a parent that's trying to be in my corner and being a little nosy because they love me rather than just being uncaring and off in the loop. Thank God for parents like that. Be vigilant. So as we can move into this month of stand, we're talking about being with those who don't have someone in their corner. We were going to have the stand event coming up where we introduce those who are interested or those who are already doing it, of course, fostering adoption, safe families, and, or just families in general, marriages in general, people who need people in their corner, standing with them, the circles of support that are critical. And that's why... In this fall season, we're challenging those who want to be a part of the life group ministry or study group or a group that has common interests, that have a circle of support. I got Zach and Sarah right here in the front, and Zach will be at the, be at the Welcome Center on the way out. If you're here today, as we begin to assemble groups and, and put things together, if you want to facilitate a group, you want to lead a group, you want to do something off right now media or have a special interest or or you want to do one off of the sermon today, you're going to sit out there and answer a few, write a few questions down and have a sermon group or whatever you want to do. If you want to be that person who would step up and take on the challenge of creating that circle of support that will grow into something very powerful like the Bremers and, the, and uh, Scott and Hanna are experiencing, there for each other. Then I want you to go talk to them and say, hey, here's my information. I might have an idea or I'm interested 
and uh, give them your information and, and open up your home. Take a step. Begin a ministry. See what God will do. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. This is fall, man. We're always calling people to action, even when it's not fall. Lord Jesus, we love you today, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this, these next couple weeks where we're moving into this challenge uh, with the stand. I do pray, God, that there's individuals out there that you're speaking to about leading a group, starting a ministry, or even just jumping in and plugging into ministry. pray you'll give them the courage, and you'll not let them rest till they take that step, Lord Jesus and experience all the full life that you've called them to in this journey and adventure of giving our lives away for you. I pray, Lord, that we'll find and move into our life with full balance, working on one side, but giving on the other. Contributing on one side and working on the other. Lord, help us to walk that out with the people of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.